We're starting a series this morning on some of the parables of Jesus. This will take us all the way up until Christmas time. Scholars have spilled a lot of ink over the parables. In particular, what exactly are they? What are their characteristics? What's included in a parable of Jesus? What maybe is or isn't? How do we define it exactly? And maybe the best definition is the old Sunday school answer, that these are earthly stories with heavenly meaning. Earthly stories. Jesus will tell stories, and I loved how this this just kind of fell together as I was thinking about this this week. Jesus tells stories about farmers and feasts and fools and fathers and fishermen and friends and finances and Pharisees. These are earthly stories, but they have heavenly meaning. Now, when I say heavenly meaning, I don't mean the kind of thing like would, would cause us to be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. These are earthly stories with with heavenly or spiritual truth, truth about God, truth about you and me, truth about what it means to enter into the kingdom of God. What does it look like to live in the kingdom of God? What does it look like to finish strong in the kingdom of God? These are earthly stories with heavenly meaning, spiritual truth, significance for life in the kingdom of God. The first we're going to look at is in Matthew chapter 13. So if you have your Bible, please turn to Matthew chapter 13. If you don't have your Bible, I would encourage you to pull out your phone or whatever other thing you might have with you to take a look with us and always encourage you to bring a Bible with you. This particular parable is often called the parable of the sower. I wonder if a better better title might be the parable of the soils. Let's read it in verse 3 following. And Jesus spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. Others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And then over in verse 18, Jesus actually gave us some interpretation of this particular parable. Verse 18, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom the seed was sown beside the road. 
The one on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one on whom the seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word. And the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And the one on whom the seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. The reference in the parable seemed to be quite clear. The sower in the story is anyone who proclaims the good news of the gospel. It could be me from here on a Sunday morning. It could be you teaching in a classroom with kids or leading a group on Wednesday night. It could be you, mom or dad, with your child as you tuck them in at night and share the good news of the gospel with them. You are sowing the seed of the gospel. It could be you taking someone that you work with out to lunch and telling them about the grace of God through Jesus Christ. The sower is the one who proclaims the good news of God's grace through Jesus Christ. The seed is that word of God itself, the gospel message that is sown. The soils in the story represent the human hearts. And as we have just read, and we'll take a closer look, four different responses of the human heart to the message of God's grace and love. And then finally, the fruit refers to the results of a life transformed as that gospel, that word of God, takes firm root in the soul of a man or a woman. Seemingly, the problem in the parable is not with the sower. It's not with the seed that is sown. It's the condition of the soil that hears it whether or not they will receive it and it bear much fruit. So let's take a look at these soils. The first, Jesus said, is like seed that fell beside the road. The road, alongside the road, the ground is packed almost as hard as the road is itself. And so when the farmer is sowing his seed and it falls alongside the road, it's as if he were sowing it upon the concrete of this floor. It's just going to bounce off the top. It's going to lay there. It will not take any root. And sure enough, sooner or later, a bird will come and snatch it away. We might say in a word that this represents a heart that is hard. The word of the gospel is preached, but it's not received in any positive way. And hopefully this none of us 
here today. But Jesus said, there's certainly some who hear the word of the kingdom, the word of the gospel, and it just goes in one ear or, and out the other. They may even listen to it with a clenched jaw. They may even listen to it with a smirk on their face, thinking about all the rest of the stupid people in the crowd who believe such nonsense. The idea that there's a God who created all things, the idea that we are sinners before a holy God and accountable for our sin, the idea that the second person of the Trinity became a man, Jesus Christ, and lived a holy life and died upon the cross for sinners, and that three days later he rose from the dead and that he's alive today in heaven and is going to come again and establish his kingdom forevermore. Nonsense. This kind of heart maybe doesn't want to submit to God's kingship at all. They like the way they think. They like the way they live. They like the decisions they're making, the pattern of their life. They like the way they talk. They like the way they walk. And they don't want anybody, much less God, interfering at all. This particular person, I think, might think themselves independent, strong, their own man, their own woman, not in need of anything from God. But the reality is that there is a devil in this story called Satan and he is at work in situations like this. The Apostle Paul said that he blinds the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. There is glory in Jesus Christ and the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whether you and I see it or not, there is the light of the glory of the gospel of Christ. He is great. He is glorious. He is the eternal son who became a man and lived and died and rose and reigns. And every one of our human hearts ought to hear it and rejoice, but some don't. There's a hard heart and Satan tries to distort the message and deceive the heart and distract and all the rest that he can and come and snatch away the message of the good news of the gospel. I hope this isn't you. Maybe you've heard the gospel message a thousand times. And every time you've wanted nothing of it, Maybe your grandmama told you about it, then mom and daddy told you about it. You got drugged to church by your parents when you were a kid, and Sunday school teachers told you about it. 
You never walked with God at all, never desired to. You got married, and then your spouse drug you to church. It's like the guy said, yeah, I had a drug problem. I got drugged to church every Sunday morning. And the greatness and the glory of Jesus Christ and salvation, forgiveness of sins in him and having him as the Lord and leader of your life, you want nothing of it. I would encourage you to pray that God would soften your heart, that you might receive that incredible message. Others, Jesus said, falls on the rocky soil. And sometimes we think this is soil with rocks in it, but that's probably not the picture. The picture is, is a thin layer of soil over a rocky sheet of bedrock or something like that. It's, it's shallow soil. And Jesus said, this is the one, the seed was sown on rocky places. This is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. A little seedling that falls on that thin layer. Some believe that because the soil would warm up quickly, it, that, that seed would germinate more quickly and it would begin to spring up. But because then underneath is that rock, it, it, it doesn't take firm root and the sun comes out and heats up and eventually burns it up, and that little thing is gone. The one on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself. This is seemingly those who hear this amazing gospel message of the love of God and the forgiveness of God and Jesus as king, and they receive it, initially respond to it positively and enthusiastically. Maybe they, they love church and they love the people and they love the, the, the prospect of forgiving, forgiving sin and they may even get involved and begin to serve as a greeter or they might jump into a kid's ministry and begin to serve, and they just absolutely love it. But the reality is, in this particular case, they have no firm root. That, that reception of the message doesn't take. Stress arises, and they have no staying power. Jesus said, immediately, receives it with joy, immediately falls away. True faith in Jesus Christ perseveres. And this particular faith is not a persevering faith. In verse 21, he calls it only temporary. It's, it's marked not by endurance and perseverance, by, but by impermanence. It's there, and then it's gone. And Jesus notes two reasons why. In verse 21, and when affliction arises. One author called these providential mishaps. When in God's providence comes afflictions, it's a word that, that's used of pressure, 
and it's used sometimes of, of treading grapes. The idea is pressure unto bursting. It's when sickness comes, disease, accidents, natural disasters, financial stress, a wayward child, getting laid off from work. These are afflictions. These are hard-pressing times. And when it happens, this particular person, this, we said the first was maybe hard soil. This might be, or in a word, it was a hard heart. This might be a shallow heart. When the affliction comes, the hardship comes, they get disillusioned by it. They might get angry with God about it. And they begin to think he's not worthy. If he were so strong and he were so powerful and he were so good, then none of this kind of thing would happen to me. I thought when I trusted in Jesus and received him, when I responded positively and enthusiastically to this, that meant everything in my life was going to be hunky-dory. And then affliction arises, and they're gone, Jesus said, or it could be persecution. And this is obviously the hardship that comes our way because of following Jesus. Siblings don't think this is very cool. Parents might even think, what's happened to you? Co-workers laugh and sneer and isolate and the rest. And in many, many places around the world, it gets worse than that. It's not only emotional abuse, but physical abuse because one claims the name of Jesus. And in this particular case, these on the rocky soil say no more. I didn't get into this to be treated like this. I'll go back to my old way of life. Again, maybe they thought that by following Jesus, life would go absolutely perfect. The only problem with that is that I've read every page and that's not even hinted at anywhere. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. He did not come into the world to make our lives hunky-dory. The greatest problem that you and I have is our sin and our rebellion against God. And it separates us from God. And we desperately need forgiveness and we desperately need a new power to live a new kind of life. And God, through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, through the gospel, provides the forgiveness of sins, his very presence to help us live that new kind of life. 
He forgives us. He reconciles us. He adopts us into his family. He gives us the promise of eternal life. He puts his spirit within us to help us begin to put our sins to death and to live more like Jesus. But never, ever, ever in the midst of any of that was a promise that you won't, you won't get sick. You won't get diseased. You won't get laid off from work. You won't get mocked by your friends. You won't get taunted by your family. Following Jesus may be hard. So that's shallow soil. May it not be you and may it not be me. May our understanding of who God is and what he has done through Jesus Christ and is doing in our lives, may it be so robust that when affliction or persecution arises, we say, no matter what happens, I'm going to cling to Jesus. Because in him, I have found forgiveness. And in him, I have found life. It's not always easy. That's why when hardship hits, we want to pray for each other that God would give us faith. We would continue to trust God and continue to persevere and endure even in affliction and persecution. Well, there's more. Some fell on the road, that's a hard heart. Some fell in the rocky places, that's a shallow heart. And some fell among the thorns. And this is going to be a strangled heart or distracted. Verse 22, the one on whom the seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word, the worry of the world, the deceitfulness of of wealth, the Gospel of Luke adds, and desires for other things choke out the word and it becomes unfruitful. The thorns, we might call it weeds. This is the man or the woman who hears the gospel message and just like the other, seemingly responds to it enthusiastically, positively. But as time goes on, they get distracted and become unfruitful. And in the image, imagery of Jesus in this story, this is apparently not a Christian who has lost their salvation. We don't believe we can do that. This is someone who wasn't saved in the first place. Same for the first one, or the second one. They seemingly believed, but then affliction and persecution arose, and they said, I don't believe that anymore. And this particular person apparently responds positively to the gospel message for a while. But then over time, drifts away. One of the scariest verses in the Bible to me is in 2 Timothy chapter 4, where Paul writes of Demas 
Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me. He's a guy that in other books of Paul he had written positively of. But over time, apparently Demas' heart was strangled out, distracted by the world. Jesus says the worry of the world. Initially, there was desire and passion for eternal things, concern for the soul, the spiritual nature of life. But then over time, this particular person soon returns to, if you will, the world, the present age, temporal things, not eternal things, material things, not spiritual things. The stuff of earth, not the stuff of heaven. School and exams and business and bills and children and sports and toys and weekends and leisure and this, that, and the other. None of them bad in and of themselves. But when they begin to take on undue importance in our lives and begin to crowd out God, Christ, the gospel, the spiritual nature of life, we have got to be careful. Or the deceitfulness, Jesus said, of riches, of wealth. If there is a particular false god in America today, surely this could be it. We are, as one guy said, awash in materialism. I know I've got to watch my own heart when it comes to this. We want more, bigger, better, nicer, newer clothes, cars, houses, neighborhoods, whatever it might be. And when we've got it, we want more of it. We want a newer one, a better one, a faster one, a slicker one, a cooler one, a shinier one. And then once we have it, we want more and we fret and we fuss to persevere and protect what we have. And if we don't watch out, it can strangle us in the spiritual nature of life. Would Paul say in 1 Timothy 6, for the love of money is root of all sorts of evil, and many by longing for it have pierced themselves with many a pang. It can become such a distraction, and apparently Jesus believes for some. It becomes so ensnaring that it, it, it prevents the word of the kingdom, the word of the gospel for taking good, solid, firm root in a heart. Again, Luke adds desires for other things. The worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things. Maybe that's just a catch-all from Jesus, saying we got to be careful. 
of any and everything that can choke out the gospel. Finally, there is the good soil. Verse 23, and the one on whom the seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man, the woman, who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. There is a hard heart. Just doesn't want anything to do with it. There's a shallow heart. Initially, they're all in, but then when hardship comes, they're out. There's the strangled heart. Again, initially showing great, great passion for the things of God, eternal nature of life, the spiritual nature of life. But then over time, the, the, the gaze of their soul comes down and the Worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things choke them out. The hard heart, the shallow heart, the strangled heart. This maybe we would call the open heart. This is the good soil. Hears the word of the message and understands it. They hear the gospel message and they say, yes. Yes. Yes, I'm a sinner. Yes, I need forgiveness. Yes, I need help. Yes, I found it in God through his son, Jesus Christ. It's not ridiculous news to them. It's not stupid news to them. It's urgent news to them. And they receive it. And they turn and they trust in Jesus Christ for life. It produces fruit. These others didn't produce, but this one does. It produces fruit, brings forth a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. And I don't think there's meant to be any shame if, if you're not a hundredfold or 60-fold or 30-fold. Jesus knows that there are different ages of his people, different opportunities for his people, different giftedness for his people, different this, that, and the other for his people. And he knows it all. The issue for those of us who may be only producing 30-fold is just to rejoice that the fruit is there and trust Jesus and, and, and aim to produce some more with a joyful smile on our face. And if we're producing 60-fold, then who knows how much we're producing. But there's to be no shame in that. I'm not producing 100 for No, the Spirit of God within me is producing fruit in my life, and that is wonderful, and I hope he'll produce some more. This fruit certainly is a Christ-like life, and some think it also refers to our ministry to others, right? The, the qualitative fruit is the Christ-like living, that we begin to bear fruit like love, 
and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, those fruits of the Spirit of God at work in the life of a Christian. And maybe quantitative fruit could be like in, in John chapter 15 when Jesus said, Abide in me and you will bear much fruit. That he not only has in mind that Christ-like fruit of love and joy and peace and those sorts of things, but also fruit in ministry of leading others to faith in Jesus or helping others to grow in their faith in Jesus or coming alongside and encouraging and comforting and helping other Christians. That, indeed, is fruit of the Christian life. I think the primary application for this parable is for those of you that are here today who maybe have never initially responded to the good news of the gospel of Jesus. Because you've never responded, you're you're not a Christian. But here again, the seed is being sown. The seed of the good news of the gospel of God's grace through his son, Jesus Christ, is coming your way. The message of this book is that God is great and holy and righteous. He's the creator of all things. He created you in his image to know him, to love him, to trust him and obey him. But the reality is that every single one of us in this room and every single one of us on planet Earth has not done so. We have sinned. We have fallen short of the glory of God. We have rebelled against him. We think things and say things and feel things and do things that displease him that the Bible calls sin. And the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's not one righteous, no, not one. And that's bad news. Because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. The Bible says it's appointed unto a man to die once, and after this comes the judgment. And it gets worse because the message of the Bible is that you and I can't do anything to fix that problem. God is great. We have sinned. We're separated from him, destined for hell, and we can't do anything to fix it. But... God has done it all through Jesus. God, in his grace, mercy, and love, sent his son to live a holy life for you and die upon a cross to pay the penalty for your sins. Jesus died on the cross not because he had sinned, but because we have sinned. You have sinned. And God's wrath was poured out upon his son, The Bible says God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. What exactly Paul meant by that, I don't know. But apparently, when Jesus died on the cross and the wrath of God was poured out on him, in in some way, Paul says, he became sin. 
he died in your place and for your sins. And then he rose three days later in defeat of death, in victory over death, in victory over sin, in victory over evil. And then he ascended back into heaven and sat down at his Father's right hand, a place of power and authority from which he reigns this very instant. And he offers to any and to all forgiveness, adoption into his family, reconciliation to him, the promises of eternal life. His very presence through his spirit to help you and me live a new kind of life. How are you responding? Heard it 10,000 times before, and just because you shared it with me again, ain't changing nothing. It's one way to respond. Like Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, I would say to you, I beg you, be reconciled to God. Don't continue in that hard-hearted refusal to humble yourself before God. Turn from your sin and take Christ as Savior. And don't hear the message thinking, oh good, I'll do that because then everything will be great in my life. Well, It will be great, but you'll still go through affliction, hardship, pain, persecution. Don't think that by responding positively to the message of the gospel that it means pain-free life. That is not what Christ offers. So if you are to believe, believe knowing that he has taken care of your soul and he will help you through the hardships of life and one day, one day, will come the new heavens and the new earth in which you and I will be raised from the dead and we will live in a perfect world forever. But that day's not now. And if you believe, watch out for the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things that could so easily take hold of you and you find yourself sometime later going, that Christianity stuff, I don't believe that anymore. Pray that God would give you a good soil heart to receive the message of the gospel, to trust in Jesus and persevere through affliction, through persecution, and persevere in the fight of faith against all of the distractions and that you would bear fruit for him. Now, may it be so of any of you who've never trusted in Jesus, you would trust Jesus today. I think a secondary application is for those of us who have. 
just to be reminded of all of these things that I just talked about in light of what Jesus has said. May God give you and me grace to keep trusting him through the afflictions of life, through the persecution that may arise. May you and I be um, sensitive to when our heart may be getting distracted from the great things of life. Close with this. Terry Johnson, pastor, writing on this parable and really talking about that distracted, strangled soil, encouraging Christians like you and me. Could it be that we are so busy with the concerns and pleasures of this life that we have little time for the things of God and little interest? Even among the strong, believing people, these days it is difficult to hold a congregation together because of the distractions that the world offers. Spiritual life is being choked out of us. Christian people are being seduced. Perhaps too much of love of the world is still in us. We need to pull out the weeds. Sadly, we are victims of the prosperous times in which we live and the abundance of our resources. We must pull out the weeds and get rid of any and everything that distracts us from the full reception of God's Word. Amen to that. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, Thank you for this earthly story with these eternal truths. And would you help me and my brothers and sisters here to have hearts of good soil. That every time we come under the teaching, the preaching, and even our own reading of the Word of God, that our hearts would be humble before you. Ready to receive your word, ready to believe as you teach us, ready to live as you call us. We need your help. We need your help. Lord, for any here today who... Um, Maybe for all their life that they just, they don't think much of the gospel at all, but maybe right now you're doing something different in their heart. Or maybe there were some who years ago, they seemingly believed the gospel, but some hardships came into their life and they just quit. Or maybe years ago they, be they believed in the gospel Apparently, but, but then over time, they got distracted and their spiritual life got choked out. And now for years, they've just lived with, with no relationship with God. Lord, apparently, in many of those instances, it's not that they were Christians and, and then weren't. It's, it's that they never really were in the first place. And so maybe now, maybe right now, through your spirit, you would you would soften their hearts, the soil of their heart, and they would receive Jesus. 
as the forgiver of their sins and the new Lord of their lives. And we will pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.